Welcome to this peer review episode of the RXP Podcast, where we will be talking about Final Fantasy 16, developed and published by Square Enix. I'm your host for today's episode, Alex, and joining me to talk about FF16 are Matt. What's up? And Tiffany. Hello, hello. And just as table setting, you know, this is a review of the game. And so spoiler warning now, you know, we're going to be talking about the, the events that happened, the things we like, the things that we don't like about this game. And so it's no holds bar in case you haven't finished the game or you haven't reached a point where you've played enough of the game to think that you don't care about being spoiled. You know, go do that. Go reach that point and then come back and listen to this. You have been warned. Okay, and now to start things off with this, you know, I want to start with a a little bit of background setting for each of us in terms of how much Final Fantasy have we played. You know, talking about the mainline franchise, you know, this is 16. There are 16 entries in this. And to give a good scope of, you know, where we're coming from having played this one, which is, you know, maybe famously very different than a lot of the other Final Fantasies in the mainline franchise. I just wanted, you know, for you all to understand where we're coming from. And for me, it's very simple. I've played every 3D Final Fantasy except for 11. So that's 10 or 7 through 10 to all of the 13s. 14, 15, and now 16. And so I feel like I have a pretty decent understanding of the where the franchise has been, right? Especially once it transitioned from the 2D sprites to 3D. And so hopefully that gives you guys a perspective to understand, you know. I think I know what I'm talking about when it comes to Final Fantasy, but uh, maybe that's up to you guys to to refute. And, and we'll you guys as in the that. audience. No, no, no not kidding. you. We, we you won't be judge. the judge. <laughs> Um, on the other spectrum, I this this is actually, I guess, my second Final Fantasy game that I have beaten. I beat Final Fantasy VII Remake and this. I've started a ton of Final Fantasy games. A bunch of the GBA games, or the ones that were on GBA. I don't know if they were on anything else. Um, I played Final Fantasy VII, almost beat it all the way, but never finished it. So technically, I've never beaten that story and played Final Fantasy XV and never finished that story. So started a couple of them beyond this, but really this is the second entry that I've beaten to this point. I'm kind of in the same or similar vein to Matt. Maybe we could say I'm in the middle. So Mm -hmm. I've started a lot of Final Fantasy games, but I've only finished a handful. Uh, So my very first Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy X, very near and dear to my heart. I finished that one. I finished X-2. I finished 16, And I finished 7 Remake. So the rest that I've kind of like, I started and never finished include 15, 12, 13-1. I think that's, I think those are the, the big ones. Yeah. So... Kind of half and half. I've ha- I've finished half of the ones I've started. <laughs> All right. So this is a very good range. You know, we have the well-traveled Final Fantasy player, the one that's, you know, only done a few, and the one that's, you know, kind of picked and chosen, the ones that, that has interested them throughout uh, the franchise. And so we have the – we're running the gamut here. 
And so with our previous knowledge of these Final Fantasies, right, as little or as how much we have, I just have a simple question because I feel like this is the question to answer, especially if you're coming to this video, you know, seeing the online discourse. Is this a Final Fantasy? I'm going to say yes. I think this is a Final Fantasy game. Maybe I don't have a cactuar, but I or a tonberry. Which is such a sad realization when they don't appear anywhere. And I'm like, we start the game with such an iconic encounter, right? With the Morble, you know, which they've changed the name to Morble. But the fact that you... Yeah. Yeah. But when you never encounter a cactuar, you know, the running cactus, the thousand needles, you never see the tomberry, you know, you never are afraid in the dark. You see the little lantern, you know, shining. Like, it feels so bad. But there's whole, right. a like, whole desert section too. You know what I mean? Yeah. Exactly. Like it could be pitch black and you just have the lantern shining in the distance. You're like, oh, what's that light over there? Mm-hmm. And you just run over and then you get shanked in the back and you're like, oh, okay, that's what that was. Yeah. Like even though I don't, and I only get one Moogle, I do have chocobos, you know? Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm not like making like stats choices with mm-hmm. my character but i have accessories <laughs> like like yeah. honestly like i feel like it has enough of a final fantasy game for me that i that i'm okay like i'm i think this is a final fantasy game it's a, it's a stretch it's a little bit different type of final final fantasy game i mean mm-hmm. when 10-2 came out people were like what the hell is this game you know three girls just going on a journey changing outfits and changing their powers so I mean, obviously, one might argue that because they have class systems and that ja- that jazz, like, that's definitely Final Fantasy game. But, you know, I think that when they explore different gameplay styles, like, I'm, d- I'm down to party. Mm-hmm. And listen, I finished this one. I named a lot that good. I didn't finish. Yeah. Pretty good. Like, it's it's an anthology-like series, right? Like, it's there yeah. no real ties to anything. We have Sid, and I am really in love with that one voice actor but to that character just in general yeah but like this is i think final fantasy can be kind of like whatever you want out of the two that i've played one is like very modern steampunk ish and this is a hugely different setting being kind of like that medieval um high fantasy type setting yeah they're completely different in the setting but like they have the charm that that makes a good final fantasy game like this is definitely does not look like the um what it whatever it's called uh like when you're choosing your moves and like rpg you elements pick each person yeah not even rpg oh, it's like a jrpg yeah like, like there's commands. no like class there's no commands this is like more of a an action rpg if mm-hmm. anything but like it's still a final fantasy game in my mind but also i've always just seen them as being whatever they want them to be Right. And I, I totally agree with the both of you. It's And the fact that, though, it still has the trademarks of Final Fantasy, right? Like, you have the chocobos. You have, like, a hunt system, right? You're, you know, you're going out and killing these specific monsters. And more most importantly, right, you have the crystals, right? Final Fantasy without crystals, you know, ain't a Final Fantasy. Mm-hmm. But even more important than that, you kill a god or a godlike being at the end. Like, that is, like, quintessential Final Fantasy. When people said, like, this isn't even an RPG, I was like, of course it is. 
at the end of everything, you're facing off against God and somehow <laughs> friendship gets you through it. Like, yes. what else do you want from them? Oh, my God. Completely agree. And so, like, flowing from that, right, there's a lot of things that we talked about that we loved. And I feel like, obviously, with the story, right, it starts, you know, as they market it to be a sort of, you know, Game of thrones as kind of mature, right? This is a mature rated Final Fantasy. Not, it's not mm-hmm. the first, right? Because I think... Final Fantasy Type-0 was the first mature rated Final Fantasy, but that's like a spinoff. But at least for the main, like, numbered entries, this is the first mature rated Final Fantasy. And so, like, in terms of just storytelling, this is going above and beyond a lot uh, of the other, uh, compared to the other games, because it's, you know, going into these more political relationships, these more kind of visceral relationships, even the kind of sexy relationships, right? You get a little bit of bear back in there. Um, and so <laughs> the, <laughs> the fact that the story goes to these p- places really shows, right, as Matt mentioned, it, it's an anthology series. You know, they're not afraid to kind of change the type of story they want to tell. And in this case, right, they're not even afraid to kind of up the rating, right, in order to go into the themes, you know, and especially one of the major themes being kind of slavery, right, and kind of enslaving, you know, certain types of people you know for the uh, characteristics they might uh, express that this is kind of a mature story and I think it does such a great job right even though you you know some people criticize the fact that that mature storytelling kind of fades away after the halfway mark right when we kind of transition to that god killing part and that's that's when it becomes more classic Final Fantasy in that way. But I still think there's a nice like combination of saying we want to pull you in with the mature story and then also make sure to remind you to say, hey, there's still a lot of growth here and there's still a lot to like deal with just with the world as a whole. Yeah, the story really grabbed me and kept me going like that. That honestly propelled my momentum forward to complete the game. Uh, I wasn't that rushed in the sense of like I wasn't like oh my god I need to finish before the spoilers are up for me I was like I need to get it in my eyeballs and ears like I need to know what happens like I I who lives who dies like is you know so and so gonna get their comeuppance oh my god wait I forgot we're we're doing spoilers when the mom killed herself I was like thank god get out of here no one likes you you're the yeah, worst. save me time yes right you know what I mean like Give me the blade. Give me the spear. I'm ready. I'm ready. Oops, you accidentally fell onto my blade. Oops. Like, you know, like, yeah, I'm I'm so glad that she was out of the picture. Um, I was kind of devastated, though, that a number of other characters died. But um, Mm -hmm. including I think I think the story was pretty awesome. Like, I I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones. I really enjoy that storytelling. I love high fantasy as a setting. And I thought that the, like the ties into Game of Thrones and what like made it sound like Game of Thrones worked perfectly for this game. Like the political drama and intrigue, like for a game that has, I don't even know how much, like for the new game plus when I was just skipping dialogue and skipping every cutscene to try to get through that, it didn't take me that long to get through the story because there's so many cutscenes in this game. But like when I was watching those cutscenes, I was there. Like I was watching Enraptured. a movie. I was like, this is good. Like this is good storytelling. It's not cheesy. Like it's got some cheese, but like 
that's okay. A little cheese is good. And I'm just enjoying every part of it. And then when I like have to pick up my controller again to play, I'm like, oh, this is fun too. Like I was enjoying the cutscene, but then when I was out of the cutscene, I was like, this is also awesome because the action is great. So I think that the storytelling really did for this is this is a pretty long game. I think I was watching like looking at the the videos of how long it takes to beat all these Final Fantasy games. I think this is one of the longest games, I guess, besides like Final Fantasy 14, since it's MMORPG. But like, other than that, like this is one of the longer ones. And I, I thought it was pretty, pretty worth it. And like, really fun all the way through. Yeah, and really, you know, I definitely agree with the cutscenes because the fact that they're so well acted, right? They're so, and more importantly, they're so well written. You know, I would say there are some characters that maybe lack a little bit in terms of uh, maybe their later characterizations, such as Jill. You know, I feel like after the Iron Kingdom section, right, where she got her resolution to kind of her story, you know, she kind of falls into this damsel in distress type of situation where, you know, she had her story arc fulfilled and she's there and she's Clive's love interest, but she doesn't necessarily have super meaningful development beyond that. But even despite that, right, her kind of falling to the wayside, you still have the other characters that continue to be great. You know, you have Gav, who's great just the entire way through, right, being the scout, being that kind of, you know, right-hand man to Sid. And even, you know, Clive, as he becomes the new Sid, he still continues in his service. And, you know, they're homies to the end. And more importantly, you know, going into the back half of the game, we get Uncle Byron introduced and just the relationship combo with Clive and his uncle and just like Uncle Byron's uh, interaction with everyone, including like mid, right? Especially. Yeah. Honestly, I met Byron in like two minutes. I was like, I swear to God, if he dies, I'm going to burn my copy of Final Fantasy 16 up. Yeah. Like I'm gonna the moment his death scene comes up, I was gonna eject the disc and throw it away. Yeah. Luckily I didn't have to do that. Can we talk about how Clive is awesome as a protagonist? Like I thought he was like super well done. The voice actor was awesome. Like I definitely think he's like one of the most I don't know, interesting characters that I've seen this year. Like I hope he gets a lot of awards like later in the year. But also for someone whose name is Clive. Like, man, he's interesting. Like, that is probably one of, the, like, the worst names <laughs> for a main protagonist. I, fun story, um, to take a, just, a, just a shy away, I met a Clive just this past couple months, and it was a child, a, a child ch- a named child Clive. Named Clive. <laughs> and so I asked, like, I was um, asking my brother-in-law, I was like, hey, like, what do you think about Clive as a name? And he's like, oh, it's nice. It's cute. Like, it's a cute name. I was like, cute. Really? (laughs) I thought Clive's just woke up and they're 50 years old. Like, I didn't know that they came in children form. But, like, this was right when Final Fantasy was happening. And I was like, weird. One, weird that that would happen. But two, Clive is such a weird name. But man, he really, like, makes me feel for him. Like, he had such, like, like, he was a good guy. And he was, like, trying to be Joshua's shield. And honestly, the relationship between Joshua and Clive, I'm so glad that Joshua didn't die until, like, the ending, whatever that actually meant. Like, the relationship that Joshua and Clive had was awesome. Like, super heartfelt of, like, they, beyond everything else, like, they were brothers and they were, like, they cared for each other and wanted each other to survive. 
And so I feel like all the actors and actresses, like, they put so much heart into this. Like, these were believable characters from the beginning all the way until the end. I really, I agree. I love the brothership story, the brotherhood story between Clive and Joshua. Like, that was very impactful for me. Um, I thought it was funny, like, that you bring up that Clive is such an a different name that I did see discourse about that online, about how, like, you have Final Fantasy character, main protagonist name, like, Cloud, Squall, Noctis, and then there's Clive. And I'm like, well, (laughs) I don't know. I just never thought about it being so different, I guess, because of this, you know, this being more of a European-esque story. Um, But also, I wanted to tell the audience that I actually played this game 100% with Japanese audio. And... Everyone was raving about the voice acting, the English voice Mm -hmm. acting, everyone. And I like didn't even, it didn't even like really occur to me that this is like a European backdrop. So -hmm. it'd be weird to have Japanese audio. But for me, like essentially in the last like 15 years, ever since Japanese audio had been an option for Japanese made games, I've chosen to go that route. Um, Maybe one day when I replay, like if I do replay and try to go for the platinum trophy, which requires a second playthrough, I will absolutely play it in English. Um, but I didn't mind the Japanese audio. The The mouthing movements did not match. So that might irritate some people. But because I had to read, you know, most of the subtitles, it didn't bother me that much. But because of also the Japanese audio, it did feel very anime to me. Mm. And that also helped me really vibe with it still being a final fantasy for better or mm-hmm. for worse like you know what i mean i was Isn't like this one of like the i don't know if this is one of the only ones or maybe i just misread something wasn't this originally localized and written in english and then back translated to japanese like back translated japanese i yeah, feel I like think i it's read f- that somewhere too yeah i think it's the first mainline final fantasy that that has occurred so they wrote it for english and then localize it to japanese how are some of the subtitles i guess maybe they just use the english subtitles they use the english subtitles it okay. did localize strangely like okay like you know they the subtitles would say like thank you and but then the japanese character would like say that person's name like mm. jill like and you know and i'm like i'm like wait like thank you and i don't know like you know there were some nuances to that and like Mm -hmm. you know i understand rudimentary japanese like um through like high school through a high school class or whatever so you know i like i could catch some differences but gotcha gotcha. um yeah it was still fine and i jive with clive i don't i don't know why people hate on the name so much i mean obviously there are names that kind of give you that feeling right as matt mentioned Mm -hmm. like Oh, the name just feels old. You know, it's like Gertrude, right? It's like mm-hmm. if you hear someone has the name Gertrude, it's like, oh, you're not going to think like a 10-year-old kid has that name. That's like, that's a grandma and they're like 65 mm-hmm. or something. But I think Clive still fits among the ranks of like, right? It is so distinct, especially among the main protagonist names that it will stand apart. You know, it's it's similar to Cloud. It's similar to Squall. It's like Clive is another distinct name to add to that title to say, especially with how great the game is too. Like people won't forget the name with how maybe basic it might sound compared to the other ones. 
Um, and if anything, right, it also adds to the fact that the story is a little bit more realistic, right? Like, you know, thinking someone has the name Squall, like, I doubt, Matt, you'll meet a nephew with that as a... I mean, you never know. Name. If they were right. born just in the, the Just the Kingdom Hearts, the Kingdom Hearts version, maybe a Leon, you know? Right. Yeah. yeah. Le- but Leon's a cool name. It's like Leon <laughs> SK. Leon is a cool Evil. name. Yeah. yeah. I could see why they changed it. Uh, but... So in terms of the story, right, it seems like we all jive with it, right? Especially for me, the pacing was fantastic. But also in helping with the pacing, right, as the counterpart to any game, to the story, it is the gameplay, right? And in this case, the combat, you know, as Matt mentioned, this is more action RPG. The lead combat designer uh, came over from Capcom, you know, Square Enix hired him. He designed a lot of action games over there, like Dragon's Dogma, like Devil May Cry 5 most recently, right? Heavily action-focused. He's even worked on uh, Marvel vs. Capcom, that fighting game franchise. And so this leans fully into the action combat. More action than I think any game maybe that Square Enix has ever published, even though they have the Kingdom Hearts franchise, which is also pretty heavy heavy action. But, you know, there are some command-based inputs there. And so I want to know your guys' thoughts because the action being so different, right, being this brand new marker for the franchise. I think for me, as Matt mentioned, this being anthology, I really enjoyed it for this. I would say that maybe for the next one, you know, if they do a 17, I might not be so enthused if they continue down this road. I would say maybe stick to this if they do like a 16-2. But I would prefer, you know, slight different changes if they were to do a 17. Mostly because I miss the fact that there wasn't really a party system. Like, you had your people with you, right? Like, uh, Jill would travel with you. Um, Joshua. Joshua would travel with you, yeah. Torgal. And even... And Torgal. And, yeah, you can have rudimentary inputs for Torgal, you know, to tell him, you know, hey, do this mid-combo extender and maybe pop a small heal to get me out of, like, negative but really he didn't really heal you but it felt like the fact that there wasn't a true party control kind of was the like biggest negative for me because i didn't have that kind of you know familial feeling as you're fighting all these monsters i like coming not having as much with like some of the other combat styles of the past i really like it like i'm coming from a huge kingdom hearts fan and so I'm I'm used to more of an action heavy thing, but yeah, you you turn into instead of having like a party, like even like Final Fantasy VII remake, having like different parties and being able to switch between them, going from that to just being like a, a one man wrecking crew. Um, I really jived with the combat. I I really liked it at the beginning. I was like when you I was waiting, Clive. I jived with Clive. You know who would have thought? Um. But like at the beginning when you only had a couple icons, when you're kind of just waiting around for different cooldowns to happen, it seems yeah. sluggish. But then once you added a third icon and you were switching between them, I had like a fluid state. Like every battle would get to a fluid state where I was just like starting to just, I don't know, I was starting to like see smells. You know what I mean? Like I was getting in the zone and everything was going well. And like I knew exactly how to take control of a battle using all these crazy things. And the thing that I really loved about this was 
it, it costs a lot of like their skill points to spec into different skills from different icons. And that kind of sucked because it really like anchored you down into one pathway. But you could respec with no charge, no anything. So Fantastic. as soon as I got a new icon, I just played around. It was like, which one of these feels awesome? And I just kept the ones that made me feel awesome. And that is such a huge quality of life improvement that I wish every game had. And yes. I feel like none of them do. It's always like some ridiculous thing. It's like, okay, um, for the cost of your right hand, you can respec your character at the end of the game. And it's like, no, I want to respec now. Yeah. I, I actually had a good time with the combat. I actually played with the accessory that would prop the combos when it was ready. Um, which was nice. So for me, it was a lot of button mashing. However, I did, I would choose to do combos or initiate attacks um, when I noticed that they, the gauge was full. So I was, I was kind of keeping track. Like sometimes I'd be like, mm -hmm. oh, the, my Phoenix thing is ready. Let me go do that. But then it like procked into like the lightning attack. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. That's what we're going to do. We're going to do that. And I'm going to go immediately <laughs> go to the Phoenix one. Um, I don't mind this action gameplay style, actually, which I think also comes from a history of being a huge Kingdom Hearts fan. Um, I think that I kind of agree, Alex, that a party system, going back to a party system would be really nice. I mean, if anything, I feel like this game made me want to go back and finish 15 or play kingdom hearts again like it, it was like this weird thing i was like i want to go play another square enix game but i don't know which because they both kind of inspired mm -hmm. me to do either for the boys and go because for the boys. i have analysis paralysis i did none of them <laughs> so <laughs> there's that uh, the boys are sad i know the boys oh, god the boys i love the boys actually just to add though Going back to the story for a little bit, I forgot to mention, love active time lore. I don't know how much you guys used it. Oh, yeah. I was using it pretty regularly where I would just be pausing, hit that touchpad, bring up the little nodes, you know, read in a little bit, being like, oh, you know, where the term icon comes from, right? Because the summons in this game are called icons, is that way back when they first originated, they were, it's derived from the term iconoclast. Right. So obviously, like mm -hmm. the that term, you know, uh, referring to religious imagery. And so the fact that the term was kind of shortened down to this icon is also relative to their role kind of in the story. Right. Being these kind of representations of this like higher power. Right. Kind of. Uh, in service of Ultima, right? Being the god that like oversees everything. And so there's a lot of things like that where, you know, it's never explained verbally in the story, right? That's not something that they directly address. But if you read it in the, uh, during active time lore, or you go back to Harpocrates, right? In the hideaway, like you can read those entries and really get that extra level of detail that especially via the active time lore makes it so easy to digest, right? Typically I'm not one to go back and read uh, compendium entries, right? I know a lot of games across the board, right? You have that bestiary, you have the lore catalog, the history, and it normally just feels like walls of text that you're like, I guess I could read this, but it feels like I'm just looking at a dictionary, which isn't really entertaining. Yeah. But the way Active Time Lore implements it makes it a little bit more interesting because at least, too, it contextualizes to the event, 
So it's updating, like where depending upon where you are in the story, you know, if Jill's in the scene, it's not going to be talking about Jill, you know, where she came from, how she, you know, joined Rosario when she was younger. It's going to be talking about her, you know, what happened to her in the Iron Kingdom, kind of the plight she went through. And then later on, it's going to be like, oh, you know, kind of her role in connection to Clive and Ray, obviously being the dominant of uh, Shiva, Ray, and kind of where she's playing with that. And so it's just very interesting and makes it faster. And that, I guess that adds to the pacing where you uh, you never really feel like you're going backwards in the story. You're always finding out new things that's like helping you learn more to like push you ahead to get to the end i think i used active time lore like maybe like 33 percent of the time um to get more background on specific characters i almost forgot about it because like when i'm in watching a cut scene i'm just like so intrigued with what's happening that i don't think about activating the active time lore uh but I finished the game i think in like less than two weeks near the second half of the second week or the beginning half of the second week, I did activate the active time lore a little bit more f- often because I was like, wait, who's that guy again? Because it had been mm-hmm. like, you know, like five or six days since I'd like picked up the controller. Sir Wade. Uh, I do have to say, though, yeah. <laughs> I, lo- I for- like I forgot to mention before with the story part. I love how this game contextualized the summons. Like, it gave them such a rich backstory. Because before, I used to never... I was like, cool, I got the fire one. Now I got the ice one. Now I got the the light one. But now, like, getting... The fact that they're associate, They have a... um, What's it called? The I dominant. guess the like dominant. Yeah. They each have mm-hmm. a dominant. And then, like, you know, some of them have mastered their power. Some of it haven't. Like, reading that in the active time lore was really helpful for me. You know, because we didn't spend that much time with um, Barnabas. So, like, reading up on him versus, you know, you just see him kind of, like, around. And then you, like, have the battle, right? Like, getting more information about him was cool. And with, like, Odin. You know, just all of it with the summons. Like, A+. plus. I feel like you need active time lore because it started off so dense. It started off so hot and heavy with this political drama where there's like, there's not just two kingdoms. There's like seven at the beginning. And like one, they say the main like title of the country, maybe once. But then they just refer to them as like the empire or the republic. Or the blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, one, every single country has a different, like, political structure, one. And two, I can't keep any of them straight. Like, which one is the bad one right now? Um, and, like, when there's two armies going at it, I was, like, doing active time lore. I'm like, who are these countries? Why are they fighting right now? What do you mean? Like, who's the dominant for which one? Like, I don't, like, when Titan showed up, I'm like, right. that's crazy. Which one is he supposed to be fighting for again? Like, yeah. is it the Iron Kingdom or the Dalmechian Republic? Like, yeah. I have no idea. And it was, it's very dense because you're put into this world where there's hundreds and hundreds of years of history and you're supposed to know it because Clive is in that and they don't tutorialize it, thankfully. And they're not like, okay, let's give a history lesson and, you know, deep dive into what you should already know like that act of time lore is something to kind of hope it so you don't have to break that fourth wall as much and you feel a little bit more immersed in it what i do love on top of that is when 
something crazy would happen or like there was a twist in the story, you would go to like the map and that teacher, and I can't remember her name, was it Vivian? Yeah, Vivian Ninetales. Yeah, Vivian would go through this map and it almost was like Fire Emblem-esque. It was like showing like how things were moving and like the units were moving and somebody, oh, and this, this, this person, they did this and they snuck around and they did all these things. And it's like shows you on a map. So it was like really helpful. Every time I had a Vivian section where she was walking me through a map, I loved it because I was like, thank you. Because I'm asking a million of these questions and now I can see it like in front of me. So like it doesn't, I feel like they played through this game and they knew, oh, you know, these people are going to get confused here. Like we need something (laughs) to help them out, figure this out. Because it could be, it could be super lost in the story. And I think the active time lore, Vivian, I'm sure there's plenty of other examples. They just kind of like help you along. And so you don't have to fight too much to, to stick around with the story. Yeah. All right. So next, I, I just want to know your guys' like, what are the high points? Like, are are there any super memorable moments that stick out to you? You know, having you know, we've it's been a few weeks since we finished this. We're kind of coming up. Is there anything that you really remember besides just kind of like general things you like? Is there like a particular moment that you're like that moment was like so great? Or flip side, is there is there a moment that you still hate? that you're coming off of and you're like, that moment was trash. I want to stick with the high. Like, I think the icon battles for me, it was like the most anime type fights ever. <laughs> but Man, they were versus awesome. Bahamut? Oh my yeah. God. Dude, I was literally great. was like, is this happening right now? When we went to space? Like, yeah. I, w- I was like, what? Honestly, like Bahamut, I was like, is the game ending? Like, is this it? <laughs> Like, is this it for it? But honestly, the Titan battle right before that was really awesome. And then um, I I really enjoyed the final battle. It did, like, everything that I want from a final battle. It basically, like, um, Ultima is basically showing you all the moves of all the icons that you've already fought. And it's just, like, it just makes you feel like you've been been somewhere. Like, it, it shows you, like, the journey that you've been on or reminds you of that. It's just like very empowering moments of fighting him. It, I felt like it was a lot easier than some of the other ones, but um, I, I thought it was good. Honestly, the boss fights for me take the cake. Like this, they were just great, great moments. I thought the Titan battle was just so long. It just that one felt so long. So, but that, like I hated him. You know what, what I mean? Yeah. So it's like yeah. I I was him. so emotionally charged with Titan. I was like. I hope he dies. Like, I want him to die. And so I felt like there was so much emotion. While it's like Dion, I was like, he seemed like a chill dude. You know what I mean? (laughs) But but we're in space and it's awesome and it looks awesome and the music is crazy. But I don't know. I didn't want him to die, per se. I, one of the moments, like, it was, it was a lot when we met Typhon, typhoon for the first time yeah when oh god it really broke my heart when sid died mm-hmm. that that was a that was a very heavy moment for me but then like meeting byron was such a delight like i was like oh my god clive gets like part of like a good member of his family back mm-hmm. um in addition to joshua when joshua came back i was like oh okay good he's not dead I didn't know. Honestly, like when I played the game, it's really 
ignorant of me to not realize that he was obviously not dead because he's literally the phoenix the phoenix yeah yeah and i'm like, like have I you just, watched harry potter uh, yeah <laughs> i'm like it's obviously i mean granted i don't know like i wasn't that surprised but at the same time i was surprised but i was like well duh he's the phoenix like of course he's not gonna be dead um i'm gonna i i do want to kind of be a downer though I was kind of disappointed with the ending. Is it too soon to get to the ending? It's never too dis- soon. Okay. No, it, it might be too soon. Hold on. Oh, okay. I'll, okay. I'll oh. talk about some of that line. Okay. Because my mine also maybe leads up to the ending. Uh, the the thing that I still take away that I enjoyed the most is kind of along the side of the pacing is the fact that this story takes place over several years and it's realized in that way because I think that helps the story be more realistic, right? It's like there are changes in the political kind of like territory control. There's characterization even within the characters, right? Obviously we have them growing older. And so just going from these teenage uh, years that they start out into growing into their thirties, you know, that's, right you change a lot you know basically it's like we like we went through the thing like you understand you know when you're a teenager you're definitely not the same person as you are now you know in your 30s and so it makes it feel much more realistic that these characters you know act the way they did and are growing in that way like especially reflecting on these experiences like coming off of uh Clive's realization right after uh going through and thinking that he's the one that killed Joshua, right? And he's just kind of telling Sid, like, kill me, kill me. You know, he's bare naked. And he's, like, lying (laughs) on the cell, like, the prison ground. He's just like, I don't deserve to live. Like, I have no will to live. And Sid's just, like, get dressed and, like, come upstairs. And going from that to, right, taking over Sid's role and then kind of reaching the end of the story, it's it is a journey that he goes through. And also the fact that this is over years, it's like he's had time to internalize this and you know not unrealistic like how some other stories go where it's like how long did this take place over like it feels like it's a week and so we went like uh, in a week of like struggling to fight against you know this government and now we're killing god like in a week like does that make sense i don't know but i just think everything is just framed more perfectly with this right leading up to the end right in killing god so so now yeah. can I talk about the ending? Yeah, and now, now we can go to the ending. Okay, you guys. Who lived and who died? Like, who thinks Joshua lived? Joshua lived. I think I, Joshua I thought Joshua lived, too. I think Joshua lived, too. I didn't know that this was such a discussion until I finally was able... Like, it's always beautiful playing a story-related game. And then I it like unlocks the Reddit. Like I can finally yeah. go to the subreddit <laughs> yeah. and see what everybody's talking about. Like, okay, everybody loves Bahamut. That's great. But then people were like, no, it's Clive. Clive took Joshua's name. And I was like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> He's literally turning into like a salt stone <laughs> next to the beach. I, th- I thought he died and I thought Joshua lived. Like that was his last hurrah. I also think Joshua lived, but I'm so upset that Clive died. And I, I'm yeah. leaning towards Clive dying. And you know what? Yes, he did, you know, do his, he completed his goal of making mm-hmm. a better world, getting rid of Ultima, getting rid of the crystals. Yeah, a world you. without magic. 
a world without magic. Mm-hmm. But he, wh- I just wanted him and Jill to like have a family and take back the Rosaria, Rosario, Rosaria dukedom. You know, Dutchy, Dutchy that's definitely Dutchy. what it's called. <laughs> I the dukedom. I, I don't know. I don't like the duchy. The the judge. Um. Yeah. No. I like. I'm with you. I. I was sad, but like it meant his sacrifice was worth it. You know what I mean? Like at the end of the day, what you realize when you're doing the demo is you are Joshua's shield. And so at the end of the day, he is fulfilling his duty as the shield, which is to protect Joshua. And like that to me is like perfect. Close the book. That is a great ending for a great character. I really, I I really liked it. The one part about the ending that I thought was just a little bit too much on the nose is, yes, he wrote a book. Does the book have to be titled Final Fantasy? That's all I'm asking. Like, (laughs) is that necessary? I actually thought that was perfect. (laughs) Well, well, I thought it was fine because it is like the like a world of magic. No more. The final fantasy. I guess it would be the final fantasy. I just feel like it's like, are we not allowed to make any other final fantasy games now? Like we've closed the book guys. This is it. Yeah. Well, no, it didn't say final fantasy 16 on the book. It just said final fantasy. So, so in every world they create, there's only one final fantasy. (laughs) Got it. Yeah. So do we think the summons are dead? Like, no one's a summon anymore? I think that since it's heavily implied, right, like, Ultima created magic in this world, right? Like, he created the crystals. He kind of, he basically created religion as well, right? The fact that these people started worshiping the crystals and kind of built the cities around these crystals as a way, right, to disguise basically guarding them, you know, so that the crystals could continue to To suck up the the aether and... Yeah, in the land that, yeah, since Ultima's gone, since Clive died, right, like magic is gone. And so the dominance and icons go with them. I think that makes sense, especially with the ending scene showing that, you know, these two kids have no are idea. playing. Yeah, and yeah. they're reenacting these stories. But the mom's like, you guys are silly, you know, just go play outside until dinner's ready type of thing. And so mm-hmm. even that scene calls into question, like, how far in the future are we? Like, who knows? It could be. This could be, I mean, yeah, realistically, it's a long time in the future because especially over the course of this game, they have basically like 1500 years of history, right? With the fallen civilization existing in the world. And so I hope it's similar to that where it's very defined and saying, you know, this story's done. Uh, Mm -hmm. What's left, right, is the book. You know, there's probably like Joshua's definitely not alive at this point. That's just maybe like a reprint of the story mm-hmm. he wrote. Um, but I the, I do think they did a good job. The earth had to heal, you know, like the blight was everywhere. That's true. You know? So That's I would, true. I think it's definitely far out. Um, yeah. To me, it, I hope it's Joshua survives. Like, I think that that would be the perfect ending. And that's, that's going to be in my head canon. Okay. I'm with you. Reddit's wrong. You know, that's, they, they usually are. <laughs> they usually are. Don't tell them. Don't tell them. Yeah. And just as extra insight, you know, the the final end of the game, right, post-credits, post-ad scene, it, there's a title card that says, but where one journey ends. And for those of you that don't know, you know, 
this is the same basically title card they use at the end of every ff14 expansion and so this is just kind of a thing that that dev team does to say hey we finished a story but that doesn't mean it's necessarily the end you know there could be more so i'd say don't read into it too much it's just something that that team likes to do in terms of saying we could do more or this could be it so it doesn't necessarily mean one thing or another to say, oh, yeah, we're going to have DLC with Joshua as the main protagonist and, you know, we're going to go on a journey or something. Um, I kind of hope they leave it. You know, I, I really enjoyed it for what it was. Um, yeah. Unless it was like a free DLC to do more hunts, because that's another really positive for me. Every hunt, I was like, this is awesome, especially some of like the S tier ones. It's like these are really fun little mini bosses and i'm really enjoying them but i have to go back and do all the hunts i like complete i did every side quest before i proc the final story uh but i didn't like complete all the hunts before i did that and i was like i'll do that afterwards Mm -hmm. still waiting still waiting All right. Is there is there any last minute thoughts you guys want to get out there that you want to mention that we haven't discussed yet? Torgal's heel was awful, and that made me pretty angry. Yeah, I think also the fact that there weren't status effects really kind of was another lacking feature that made it less RPG. And I felt like they could have had status effects, like right, like there's the big like twin blade. Uh, fighter that you face that has literal like poison mist that yeah. he spits out, but it doesn't mm-hmm. poison you. It just like makes you fall to the ground and then you get back up after like ten seconds of stagger. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that could have been a perfect like poison status effect, and like you need Torgal to heal you. You know, it's like Torgal magic could like cleanse you. Like, yeah. I felt yeah. like they could have incorporated more in making Torgal more important than just like, oh yeah, I'll use him as a combo extender or you know with the assist ring it's like he just does it automatically but otherwise he's kind of just there to be your you know your dog bro honestly i sucked at maneuvering torgal so i kept that ring on the entire time like it was the only assist ring i kept on the entire time because i was like listen torgal you're doing nothing you're doing absolutely nothing when i'm controlling you because i'm doing nothing with you because you have to go over on the d-pad then do it like no 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 i'm trying to figure out this combat system myself so I put that ring on and then completely forgot about it. And it was like, Torgal, you do you, man. You you do what makes you feel good. You know? You Dang. want to combo extend? Perfect. You want to heal me? Thanks. That was, that's something, you know? Yeah. yeah um, that was a good 5 HP. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I was controlling Torgal like a, like a plebeian. But, you know, mm-hmm. I was, my combos were going off like no one's business. So it was fine. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she looked co- she looked cool, you know, slicing and dicing there, mashing yeah. the button. Yep. And that and that's the whole point of the game, right? Like obviously it being an action RPG, they want you to look cool, they want you to feel good, you know, doing these combos, and I think they achieved it. They really yeah, kind of 100%. met the the bar on everything. All right. So that brings us to our closing statement and that is our final recommendation so what are your guys's final recommendation for final fantasy 16 i recommend final fantasy 16 if you want good story if you like action gameplay if you like killing god this game is for you 
Can't say anything better than that. <laughs> All <of> those <laughs> points. I recommend it as well. Um, no one says you can't still play the demo if you're on the fence. Go play that it. That's true. That's true. Um, because the demo will show you what it will look like. And if you dig the story, and the story just absolutely wrapped me up. If you're a fan of uh, high fantasy, like fantasy books, if you like Game of Thrones, you're going to really enjoy it. Like, the political drama with this is so much there. Um, and beyond all that, it's a really fun game. So really, really uh, think about it, because I highly recommend it. I also want to put an asterisk on when I said, do you like killing God? I meant an alien God. Let's make right. that very Like in a, in a JRPG, RPG format. Sure. Exactly. A, a God-like being, if you will, as, yes. I, as I usually like to describe it right. as. Yes. And do you like owning the power of friendship? to defeat that alien being. Honestly, yeah, that's the big one. Do you love Sora? Yes or no? Yes or no. Then this game <laughs> is for you. And I would also like to say I recommend this with the caveat. No I caveats. do not recommend the new game plus. Oh, do oh not yeah. do the new, new game, game plus. plus. Is worthless. Even though there is a trophy for it, you know, most of you probably don't care about that, but I would say the new game plus barely changes anything pretty much just doubles the level cap so it lets you make the numbers go higher and there's some slight differences in enemy placements so some later game enemies appear earlier but it's not really meaningful they don't have any new moves it's just kind of doing those fights at a different time so realistically it's the same game and so honestly i recommend though the first playthrough is great you know don't look at anything up as matt said the demo is still available on the playstation store this is ps5 exclusive so if you want to play literally the prologue of the game it is available and progress carries over so you don't need to replay it if you do intend to buy the full game you can just roll straight through with your save and continue on this great journey and so with that we have three yes we recommend it here Thanks for listening to this episode of the RXP podcast where we peer review Final Fantasy 16. Shout out to Grandmaster Doug for our theme music. And until next time, take care.